This is Church on the Rock, where Jesus is our message and people are our heart. Tune in to hear a teaching that we pray inspires and encourages your life with Christ. Today, amen. We're in a series called Reimaging Life in the Way of Jesus. Reimaging Life in the Way of Jesus. And in your handout, I really encourage you to get a handout. If you don't have a handout, even lift your hand up. I think it's important that you have one today. If you don't have a handout, uh, lift your hand up and our ushers will get you a handout. But uh, look at that handout. Did everybody look at the scripture? Everybody see that scripture that we had for memory? Amen. We want to put that one up. I want to say that together. Amen. You have one over here on the side, D. Miguel, how you doing, buddy? Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's read that scripture together, that Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. To me, in a nutshell, this is what Christianity is. Let's read it together. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life that I now live in this body... I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, if you'll look at that next part, um, I took a long time writing that down because I think it's important. The Bible says that people perish because of lack of knowledge. I believe one reason that the devil kicks many Christians' tails is because they don't know who they are in Christ. There's a lack of knowledge So on your insert, this is something that that we really need to know. Uh, It says, thus far in these talks, we've we've established this. The first thing that we've established in in these talks is sins and sins that only Jesus can correct. So when God's light first, first comes into our hearts, uh, we cry out and say that there's many sins. Everybody say plural sins. There's many sins that are for us. But once we've received that forgiveness of sins, many plural sins, we make another discovery as Christians. And that discovery is the sin principle. Everybody say sin singular. The sin principle is still at work inside of me. So I not only realize that I've committed so many sins before the Lord, they're numerous. I've committed so many sins before the Lord, but also there's something wrong within me. I discover that my nature is that of a sinner. There's an inner inclination to sin, a power within me that draws me to sin. And when that power breaks out, something happens. I just start committing sins, plural. The the conclusion is this, I need forgiveness for my sins. There's a dual problem. We have a dual problem. We need forgiveness for my sins, plural, many, numerous, big, tall, little, big, short, fat, big sins, ugly sins, many, many, numerous sins. We need forgiveness for sins, but also I need deliverance from the power of sin, plural, that's within inside of me. So we see that we have a dual problem. The dual problem is sins, plural, the numerous sins. And then the other thing is sin, singular, the sin. All right, well, God not only showed us that there's a dual problem, he said, I have a dual answer. I have a dual solution. And brothers and sisters, I think it's important that we separate and see the difference between the blood of Jesus and the cross of Jesus. 
The blood of Jesus, is, it, it, there's many scriptures that shows how the blood of Jesus is for forgiveness and cleansing of our numerous and multiple and many sins. How many know that Jesus' blood forgives us of our past, present, and future sins? Amen? There's more than enough. But yet there's also this sin that lives inside or within me. And brothers and Jesus, brothers and sisters, that sin, there has to be a crucifixion, a death, and a burial. And we're going to preach on that uh, uh, November the 5th is when I'm going to preach on the cross. The next two weeks, I'm going to preach on the blood. So we see that there's a dual problem, sins and sin within me, and you deal with them differently. But then we also see that there is a dual solution. To my sins, there's the blood of Jesus that forgives me, but to the sin nature and the Adamite sin, there has to be a death to that Adamite nature, a burial, and then we're raised with him in newness of life. That's even what the baptismal is. When you look at the water, you're supposed to look at that as a grave or a place of death. To when you go down, you're buried with him in baptism. And when you come up out of the water, you're raised in newness of life. That's the symbolism that we, uh, that we celebrated today. Okay, so we see the dual problem. We see the dual remedy. Now, the next thing is our sins nail us. Sin and sins nail us. Like, boom, they nail you. They nail you in three ways. The first way they nail you is they nail you in a Godward way. Everybody say Godward. Our sins nail us, or, or they, they hit us. Our sin and sins, they nail us in a Godward way. And what that does is, is we notice that sin enters through disobedience, and God's fellowship now has a hindrance, and we call that hindrance as sin, to where God says all people are under sin. See, our sin and sins caused a problem Godwardly, okay? To where God says, man, all people... Or under sin. But then uh, the, the, the second way that our sins nail us is what I call manwardly or humanly or manward. And the way our sins nail us in a manward way is, is, is as sin is inhuman, it constitutes that barrier with that fellowship with the Lord. But here's what else happens. There's a rise of guilt and of shame. Our sins cause a rise of guilt of shame and condemnation and fear. We know that there's an estrangement from the Lord. We know that, that there's been a falling out, a split up, or, or a division. So we see that our sins nail us Godward. They nail us manward. But here's another way. They also nail us Satanward. Satanward. So sin and sins nail us Godward. They nail us manward. And then they nail us Satanward. The way it nails the Satan word is two ways. The devil, the scripture that says that he accuses the brethren day and night before the Father. And we're going to talk about that later in this sermon series. So God deals with Satan word problem of sin and sins. There's a difference how he deals with it with the blood and with the cross, Satan word. And then there's also this. All of us have what we call a conscience. Everybody has Bibles. Satan, where the Lord, the devil can actually take the word of God. He can take your mistakes. He can take your failures. And he's constantly got his finger in your face. 
So in the next few weeks, I'm going to show you how the blood of Jesus can take care of things godwardly, how he can take care of things manwardly, and how he can take care of things Satanwardly. Are you all with me? I'm telling you, the blood does something in each of those distinct areas. Today, we're going to talk about the Godward. But before we do that, I want you to look at this number three. I didn't just write that down for an exercise. To me, to me, I'm, I'm past just seeing, seeing that people get emotional. I want to see change in people. And the way you see change is you have to have knowledge of the Word of God, and then you have to assent to that knowledge, and then you walk in the knowledge, and there's change in life. But look at this. Human beings sin, and sins have affected us in three ways. Godward, manward, and Satanward. We were born with a sin nature that causes us to commit numerous sins. When we accept the truth of Jesus and are born again... All of our sins, past, present, and future, are forgiven by Jesus' blood, and now we are crucified with Christ, now dead to the sin nature that we are born, and resurrected with the same power that resurrected Jesus. And we have been made to sit with him in heavenly places, far above principality, far above power far above rulers of this age, and he gives us power and it gives us abundant life and victory. I believe that a majority of people that fill our churches do not live in Christian victory and Christian uh, uh, happiness and abundant life, and I believe it's because we don't know these simple truths. Re-imaging Jesus is a series about, if I could say what this series is about, it would be this. Everybody needs to know what we're talking about here. You need to know it, and we need to believe it. So let's begin with the precious blood of Jesus and its value to us dealing with our sins in a Godward way. The Bible says that for everyone has sinned, we fall short of God's glorious standard or his major, of his mark, or specification. And then in Romans 5, 8 and, 8 and 9, it says this, but God showed or he demonstrated his great love for us by sending Christ to die. For while we were still sinners, and since we've been made right with God, in God's sight, by the blood of Jesus, he will certainly save us from condemnation. Here's another scripture. Being justified or made right, declared not guilty in God's sight. That's what justified means. Freely by his grace through redemption. Redemption means that he's freed us from the penalty of sin. That is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation. Everybody say propitiation. A propitiation by his blood. Propitiation is two things. Write this down. Propitiation is two things. Number one, it's forgiveness. And number two, it's restored friendship. It's two things. It's forgiveness, but it's a complete restoration or forgiveness through faith demonstrates his righteousness, okay? And then skip down to the bottom, that he is our justifier and the one who has faith in Jesus. All right, and talking about the blood today, to me, the first thing that has to happen, and guys, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but there's been times I'm like, why blood? Why blood? Why blood? But I think there comes a time where you just have to say, Even if you don't understand it, it's just the way God set it up. 
Uh, it's just the way things are. But sometimes I'm like, why blood? So I want to talk about the, this blood today. A must with regard to understanding the value of the blood is this. I don't know why, but I must accept God's valuation of it. God puts a high value on the blood. If you don't understand God's value of the blood, then I'll be, never know the value that it has to me. So the reason I have to place a high value on the blood of Jesus is because God places a high value on the blood of Jesus. doesn't matter if I understand it and figure it all out in my head. That's just the way it is. And, and uh, the blood is primarily for God. Our, our, our valuation and understanding of the God uh, of the blood rests on as an accordance of his evaluation. And this hit me, is the blood enough for you? Because is the blood of Jesus enough for us? If it's enough for us, the blood has satisfied God and he puts a high value on it. So I have to say the blood satisfies me and it's enough for me too. But we have to realize the value and the power that's in the blood of Jesus, okay? So the first aspect, let's talk about it. The first aspect of the blood of Jesus is for my atonement. Back in the Old Testament, when you talked about atonement, you had a sin offering and a burnt offering, okay? We need forgiveness for the sins that we've committed lest we come under judgment so God provided a day of atonement. Look at Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 2 through 5. There were two rooms in the tabernacle. In the Old Testament, there were two rooms in the tabernacle or the temple where they worshiped the Lord. In the first room, there was a lampstand, a table, sacred loaves of the bread on the table. Go to the next slide. This room, but then there was a room, um, then there was a room called the holy place. Then there was a curtain. And behind the curtain was the second room. And the second room was called the most holy place. In that room, there was a gold incense altar. I want you to think about that. In that room, there was a gold incense altar and a wooden chest called the Ark of the Covenant. How many has ever watched Indiana Jones? The Ark of the Covenant. It's not like portrayed in that movie, but... Uh, they might have tried a little. Uh, the Ark of the Covenant, which was covered by gold on all sides. Notice it gives a little bit of description. Inside the Ark, inside the Ark of the Covenant was a gold jar containing manna, Aaron's staff that sprouted with leaves, and the stone tablets of the covenant. Above the Ark were the cherubim of divine glory, whose wings stretched out over the Ark's cover, the place of atonement okay the place of atonement okay the holy of holies was covered by a veil and no one was allowed to enter it except the high priest and he could only enter it once a year and it was called yom kippur and he would offer the blood sacrifice at the mercy seat and what this was it was a transaction between the high priest and God in the sanctuary away from the eyes of man's sin. Finally, we got all that foundation laid. Now let's get down to it. The high priest went in there one time a year. And the reason he went in there was to provide atonement for all the sins. The sins that you knew you did and the sins that you didn't know you did. It was an atonement. 
It was a transaction between the high priest and between God. The Holy of Holies was a symbolism of the place where God was at. That's where his presence was. If you notice, it was away from the eyes of all the people. And it was the, the high priest that went in there. He was the only one that got to go in there and it was away from everybody else. That's because nobody could go in the presence of the Lord except the high priest one time once a year. When Jesus died, that veil rent and tore in two And now we can all go into the Holy of Holies, and we go into that by the blood, and we're going to talk about that next week. But what happened in there is when the priest went in, something that hit me is the only thing that he went in with was blood. There wasn't very many things in the Holy of Holies, but he took the blood, and he went into the Holy of Holies. So when we go into that holy place where God's at, we we enter into the Holy of Holies by the blood of Jesus. But when he went in there, that Ark of the Covenant was there. And that Ark of the Covenant was a wooden box that was made out of Acadia wood. And Acadia wood symbolizes humanness or being a a human being. And then on the outside of that Acadia wood, it had gold on it. It was gold. It was a golden box. And the gold represented the deity or how this was God. So this box was, in effect, Jesus Christ, the God-man. Are you all with me? Then on top of that box, there was an inch-thick, solid piece of gold that was beaten in fire, in the fires, and it was a solid piece of gold that, could, that couldn't be penetrated. But inside of that ark, there were three things. The first thing that was in there was Aaron's rod. And what that symbolizes is that symbolizes man's rebellion against God's prophets and against God's leadership. In other words, every time that God tried to send people to help humanity, they they didn't want the message. So that first one was a rebellion against God and against his, uh, his appointed authority. The second thing that was in there is, is the golden jar of manna. The golden jar of manna, we know that manna is what came down and fed the Israelites for the 40 years. How many knows that, that, that the manna fed the Israelites for 40 years? Jesus said that your fathers ate manna, but he was the true bread of life. He was the manna. So inside that ark, that golden jar full of manna represented represented man's rebellion against God's provision. Now listen to me. People will say, so really what that was is that was a symbolism of people, of humans saying, we don't want Jesus. We don't want the bread. We, we don't like this bread. We're tired of this bread. We want to go back to Egypt or sin. We don't want this bread. Brothers and sisters, just like the day when Jesus was crucified and they were saying, we want Barabbas, people today are still saying, we want our sin. We don't want the bread. We don't want the bread. We don't want Jesus. People that aren't living for Jesus, their, their hands, they, they, we don't want that. So that's what that represented. And then the third thing that it represented was the Ten Commandments, and that was man's rebellion against God's word. 
But it was inside of the ark, the God-man. And it was covered with an inch thick golden piece. And then there were angels covering it. But that was the place where man talked to God face to face at the once a year time. Are y'all with me? That priest brought the blood in and he poured it on that mercy seat. And it became a propitiation for our sins. It, it, it became, it, it's, it's Mark meant that our sins are forgiven and that relationship is restored with Jesus Christ so that we can talk with him and be in friendship with him. That's a big thing. But what that did, it wasn't, here's the symbolism. Here's what the blood does for you. It's not that God can't see your sins or God doesn't know they're there. Listen to this. Um, when, when, when Balaam was hired to put a curse on God's people, Israel, every time they went up on a mountain and Balaam would start to put a curse on God's people, but he couldn't ever do it. They were irre- irreversibly blessed. The way that the tents were set up with the 12 tribes of Judah... And if you read that in Leviticus, it forms a perfect cross to where really when they were standing on the mountain and they were trying to curse God's people and they were trying to curse Israel, they couldn't do it because the cross was there. The cross of Christ was there and there could be no curse come against God's people. Do you think there was sin if, if you had a million people? Were those people sinless? How many think that at that time that Joe Blow wasn't sneaking off and having an affair with somebody? How do we know at that time that there wasn't somebody stealing or somebody just took a knife and killed somebody? We don't know. We, but how many of you think there was sin happening? But when God looked down, he didn't see the sin. He saw the cross. When God looks down, the reason you, the first reason that you need the blood of Jesus Godwardly is when God looks down, He doesn't see your rebellion to God's authority. When God looks down, He doesn't see your rebellion and your breaking of His laws that none of us can do His laws. None of us can do. He, when He looks at you, He doesn't see you breaking laws and doing it all wrong. He doesn't see you rebelling against His authority. He doesn't see you saying, "We don't want Jesus." We don't. He, he, the, the, the mercy seat's there. The blood is applied, and when God sees you because of the blood, when God sees you, He sees forgiveness and he sees a friend okay that's the ark of the covenant I think it's pretty exciting myself um, now Hebrews 9 11 and 12 so Christ has now been made a high priest over all the good things that have come now look at this he has entered that greater more perfect tabernacle in heaven Brothers, the Old Testament, sisters, the Old Testament is always a type of what's coming. In the Old Testament, the the temple that the Israelites put up, 
as they traveled, that we just talked about the Holy of Holies. When Solomon, when David took over Jerusalem and they made the temple again in, in, in Jerusalem, that temple was set up in, in brick and mortar, okay? You might say it was set up like that. But that one was the earthly one. I want you to see that there's a tabernacle just like that one. The one that was on the earth that David made, there's one just like it in heaven. It wasn't made with human hands. And it's not a part of this created world. But with Jesus' own blood, not the blood of goats and calves, he entered that one up there. He entered that most holy place once for all time. And he secured our redemption forever. The blood is the only thing that I see in the most holy place. And Jesus put that blood on the mercy seat. You know what's also, no, I don't have time to get into that. Now let's look at the blood of the Passover. The blood of the Passover. It's not that we're forgiven it's not because God does overlooks so what we've done, but it's because he sees the blood. In Exodus 12, 13, when the Israelites were getting ready to leave uh, Egypt, and you guys all know Moses in the story, the blood was put on the doorposts, and it served as a sign marking the houses where you were staying. And God said, when I see the blood, I'll pass over you. And I wanted to make that point. It's not that he doesn't see the sins of humanity. But what he sees greater is he sees the blood of Jesus. And he says, because I see the blood, I'm going to pass over you. Now notice I said Godwardly, the blood is primarily for, for God. For God. Because it was on the doorpost. And don't think the doorposts make a cross, because it doesn't. Everybody always says, hey, that's a perfect cross. No, it's not. It's on the two sides, and, but the blood's on the doorpost. The blood is on the doorpost. But when the angel, death, when, when, when God passed by, he saw the blood and the people that were inside were safe. So when he sees the blood, he passes over. Third thing I want to say about blood, Godwardly. The ransom, these next two points I think may be new to some of you. The ransom is paid. Our freedom and escape is secured by the blood. Look at 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. The, the, the Adamite ancestors. Adam and Eve's sin that we inherited from our ancestors. And it was not paid with gold and silver, which lose their value. But it was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. So I want us to see God's value. He said it, it was paid by the precious blood of Christ. So we see that value. But listen to this. Jesus paid the ransom to free us from captivity to the powers of darkness so that he could exodus us 
into his kingdom. So in ransoming, in ransoming what that really is, it, it enables us to make an escape. So the blood forgives us, but we were bought with the blood. It was the ransom of God. And before the blood and before the ransom, you are controlled Every person without the blood of Jesus, you are controlled by the powers of this evil world. You're controlled by the powers that are in our ancestry. But Jesus came and ransomed us. I'm telling you, it's, we got to value it because God values it. The blood is what he ransomed us with. But I, don't want, I want you to think more of, of, of that the blood forgives us. I want you to also see that it bought you to where he takes you out of Satan's hold. And he takes you out of Satan's realm. And he emancipates you. And he makes you free. And he secures your escape so you can walk out. Amen. That's what the blood does for you. It's a ransom. Here's another thing. I don't want to say that the blood of Christ satisfies something in God. I've tried to stay away from saying the blood of Jesus satisfies the justice of God. I want to talk about that just a minute. That when I'm always honest with you when I'm working things out. And to me, a problem with society is people can't talk. There's tribalism to where everybody's got to be right. And I'll tell you what, I believe our nation is on the verge of a civil war because there's no bend in either side. There is nobody can sit at a table and maturely talk about anything. If you don't agree with me, you're of the devil and you're from hell. And if, it's just to where people can't even talk anymore. They can't even hatch out things of Scripture because we stick our old stubborn feed in and we shall not be moved and maybe you need to be moved i'm i'm learning all the time things but <laughs> on the blood of jesus satisfied here's here's my thoughts to me like god doesn't try to be love he is love i mean he just i don't it's hard for our finite minds to get that that stuff he is love. He is mercy. He is compassion. He, he embodies that. that. That is what he is. But I also believe that he's just. That he's, he's just. Just as much as he's mercy, to me, and this is my thoughts, to me, just as much as he's mercy, he's also just. And so I, I, I put this in the sermon today because you guys are intelligent enough to make your own decision on your belief systems. Because everybody's working out things in their belief systems. But one of my belief systems is I think it's kind of ironic how in Isaiah 53, that's where it talks, that's the prophetic where Jesus is crucified and and by his stripes were healed. How many knows Isaiah 53? It's very, one of the most prophetic chapters. The very next chapter, the very next chapter says this. I mean, right after that, it says this. 
For a brief brief moment, I abandoned you. But with deep compassion, this is Isaiah 54, 7 through 9. But with deep compassion, I will bring you back. In a surge of anger, I hid my face from you for a moment. But with everlasting kindness, but with everlasting kindness, I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. To me, this is like the days of Noah, when I swore that the waters of Noah would never again cover the earth. So now I swear to you that I will not be angry or rebuke you anymore. This is, this, this is, this is my interpretation. And yours may be different. But my interpretation is... I think God's just as much as he is merciful. And I think that Jesus bore on his back the chastisement of the saints in Isaiah 53. I believe all of my sins and all of sin was on the back of Jesus. I just don't like to be, I just don't like it to come across like this. Man, it satisfied the justice of God. Because God didn't like that. God isn't out to get you. In fact, that repulses me. It's hard for me to say, whoa, that satisfied the justice of God. Satisfied? Is God some egomaniac, bloodthirsty tyrant dictator that has to be satisfied if something dies? No, he's life. He he, he is life, and it's not like, oh, I'm so satisfied now. Don't think of God like that. He's not that way. He, he's not that way. In fact, justice was taken care of. He didn't ask you to do it. He didn't ask the Navy to do it. He didn't ask the, the Marines to do it, Conrad. He did it. He did it. I would not say the blood of Christ satisfies something in God. Rather, rather, he is the victim. God is the victim of violence, not the perpetrator. Jesus' death on the cross is actually the result and consequence of our continuous sin and rebellion. It's the culmination of the consequences of sin, and Jesus willingly chooses to drink the cup of suffering. God's wrath is a reluctant removal of his merciful protection so the consequences of sin are carried out. Everybody always says God did it. God did it. How could God do this? God doesn't do it. If you want to call it wrath, his only wrath is reluctantly 
removing his protection so that your sin nature and your sinfulness would bring you to a place to where the Holy Spirit's there convicting you of sin to where you say, I need Jesus. To me, that's the clear way of thinking about it. God's wrath is a reluctant removal of a merciful protection so that consequences. And you Bible people, just look up your own backslidings reproved you and see how many scriptures you'll come up with. You think you're suffering? You think our world's suffering? God hasn't put that suffering on it. Our backslidings and our turning from God into our rebellion, he lovingly steps back and allows us to get to the place where we cry out, we need you back in our life. We need you. You know, the Bible says in Psalms, he says, before I was afflicted, I went astray. I think that's Psalms 119, 67 or 69, but it says, but now I've kept your word. Sometimes the pain you're going through is a wake-up call. It's a wake-up call to say, I need Jesus in that area of my life. So he doesn't cause it or desire it but he leads us to repentance. He at times allows the consequences we rot on ourselves in choosing to rebel. The blood of Jesus destroys the power of Satan, forgives us of our sins, breaks the cycle of sin, and liberates us so that we can be transformed from the kingdom of darkness into his kingdom of light. Amen. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, I pray that the eyes of our, I I pray that there would be a sense in God's people to want to know you and that they would want to know the power of your resurrection. Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes up to the value of the blood of Jesus Godwardly. Lord, I pray that we would receive revelation today from something that's preached so that we can be set free from the powers of darkness, so that we can be set free from for, in forgiveness, so that we can know that we are friends of God and not foes. Lord, I pray that you would give us proper perspective of a loving God and not a vengeful, angry God that wants to strike us down. Lord, I pray today that, that, that God's people would, would sense a loving God, that he who knew no sin became sin so that I could be made righteous. Lord, I thank you. It's your will that none would perish, but that all would enter into life in Jesus. Lord, we thank you that life is in the blood. Lord, we thank you for the blood that runs through our spiritual veins, the blood of Christ that frees me, that saves me, that makes me eternal with God and awake to righteousness and awake to relationship with him. Father, I pray that, this, that the illumination would come in this body and that we would begin to know and value the power that's in the blood of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. With every head bowed and eyes closed, is there anybody here that 
that wants to accept Jesus into your heart, you're away from the Lord and you want to accept him into your heart, you want to turn over a new life and you want to receive that blood atonement and receive Jesus the sacrifice for your sins and ask him into your heart, can I see your hand today if anybody wants to receive Christ in your heart today? Amen. Amen. Anybody else today? How many need to get under the waterfall of forgiveness? That you're tormented? That you feel guilty before the Lord and you feel like your relationship with God is severed or divided? I want you to come today in a moment. And today we're going to... um, Take communion. The prayer team's going to be up here. They'll pray for you for whatever you have need of to be prayed for. They'll be around the front here. So if you wonder who they are, there'll be two of them here and two of them right here. But we're also going to take part in communion. Father, we thank you for the bread of life. We thank you that Jesus became our life and became when we eat him we eat life and lord we thank you when we eat this waiver that you were beaten and you were whipped for my healing and lord i pray today when people take the bread that they will receive physical healing and i pray today that when people take the bread they will receive emotional healing Lord, we thank you that there's healing in the bread and the body of Jesus. Father, we thank you for the blood of the new covenant. And Lord, we do value your blood as we learn about it. Lord, the next two weeks as we preach on the blood and we see what it can do for man, and then we see how it gives us authority over Satan. Lord, open our eyes. But today, Lord, when we drink the cup, let us us be remembering that our sins are forgiven, that we are at peace with God, and that when he sees me, he doesn't see my rebellion and my sin, but he sees the blood and he passes over me. When I see the blood, I pass, pass over. Lord, thank you for the atonement. Thank you for the blood that forgives me of all my sins. In Jesus' name, amen. As the prayer team comes, we have communion on both sides. Um, You can receive prayer up front. Communion's open. You're dismissed in the name of the Lord. God bless you. We hope this message connected with you. To get more information about Church on the Rock, check out our website at www.cotrag.org or Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Have a blessed day.